Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 27, interview with John Buckley. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Sam, I wanted to start with you. I know you are a little disappointed in your Beat the Sam the Squid NCA bracket, but I want to give you some optimism that you are not alone because according to ESPN, out of the 14.7 million brackets they received, only 2,873 even correctly identified the final four teams to make it. That doesn't mean they have a, a complete bracket. Like there's no one has a, a complete bracket, but only 0.0002% of the brackets were even able to pick the final four teams. Who are the final four? <laughs> Who knows? Following it closely, Sam. <laughs> no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Sam, this actually brings up a really interesting story I read about regret and not not doing the right thing or not remembering there is a person in San Francisco who way back when when bitcoin was starting he oh. was a pr- a programmer from Germany that put up a video about bitcoin explaining like the ins and outs of bitcoin right and some just random person gifted him 7000 bitcoins because they were just so appreciative that he had done this video it is now worth about 250 million, but he has lost the password to his Bitcoin account or whatever the Coinbase or whatever his virtual wallet is. He's on attempt. He has tried seven passwords. You get 10 attempts. So he's got three left, but there's literally no way he's going to remember it because it's just, it's not like it was like a random password. He says now that he's reached a really big milestone in his life that's going that he's decided how he's going to define his self-worth going forward. And it's not about how much money I could have in my bank account. So he's saying he's moved on from losing $250 million because he can't remember or he threw out a password. Do you think you would ever stop regretting that? Can't he just click forgotten password? And reset. Not, yeah. he, he does have one alternative, <laughs> though, actually, which is you can. He could take it. He could um, take it to a service where they take it apart and then they put it under a microscope and they basically like look because it's just binary, right? Um, they can like under a very powerful microscope, they can actually look at the chip itself and figure out the password through the chip. This is possible to do, and because I read an article about this. Obviously, I don't know the intricate details of how exactly that works. But what blows my mind is with that much money on the line, why haven't you already done that? Like, even if it costs a ton of money, you say to these people, like, look, if you do this, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you way over the odds. If you get the password right, I'll give you $5 million. Like, no, no worries. Like, but you got to get the password right. What if this is his wrong account? And he's like, ah, damn it, it's the other account. (laughs) It's the other account that had the money. But no, Frank, I could never get over it. It's actually the big reason why I don't get in on the cryptocurrency thing, because either losing your hard drive or losing the wallet you keep it in, forgetting the password, or I know that seemingly everything's a little bit more secured now, but when they have had those like where entire sites have been hacked, 
and just like all the Bitcoin disappears. If yeah. any of those things happened and I had a sizable chunk of Bitcoin. In addition to having to live with the fact that you're not down 250, but you've lost $250 million, you must get bombarded with people trying to one, ask you about like, how about this password? Are you sure it might be this one? Or, you know, like giving you different tips. But one, the article said one of the things he gets a lot is people recommend various mediums and psychics. Now, I do not believe in that at all. But Eddie, with 250 million on the line, do you think about going to a really, really reputable psychic? No, no, I do. Not even I, worth a try. Not I, even worth so, a try. But yeah, for sure, hypnotist I would go for. Medium or psychic, no way. Why specifically a hypnotist? Do you, do you think they're going to really do it for you? Or? I, I, would, I wouldn't believe in it. I'd be skeptical, but I could at least see a hypnotist working, like helping you to recover something from your memory that's like, is there, but you can't access it. Whereas a, a medium or a psychic, I mean, unless you told me if, unless it was like, oh, well, Sam knew the password and Sam died. And Sam definitely would still remember it. And so the, the, so the psychic was like, I can get in touch with Sam and get it. But otherwise, like, what is a psychic or a medium doing? Like, how are they accessing the password? I don't know. They're using their psychic powers. How, how are you affecting How are you affecting matches by brushing your teeth, Eddie? No one knows the workings of witchcraft and wizardry. I, so wait, there's no way of recovering your password? No. Now, you can buy... Um, like, I think there's specific wallets and stuff that you can buy where they do have some system in place to get it back. But like fundamentally, no, the whole point of the security system is it's supposed to be like inaccessible. They're like super long passwords too, yeah. right? Like that's the security of them. So I think there's companies like Ledger and stuff. I think they offer some system. I think this guy has started some form of uh, international transaction company. I mean, that's the thing, right? He's a software engineer based in San Francisco. He's probably doing okay. But I think he started his own company. And as part of it, he's made sure to include that there's a forgot password uh, function. <laughs> so he's, he's learned from his mistakes. You can't, I would, there would be too many what ifs, right? With the money. I'd be thinking like, if I remember, I then have 250 million. And that's why I couldn't get past it. Because Fundamentally, there's a slight amount of, I wouldn't say idiocy, but not accessing something because you've misplaced a password. And as a result, you're a quarter of a billion down. I wouldn't be able to like not live with myself. I'm not booking the front of a train, but I wouldn't be able to get past it. I'll, I'll take that back. I would not book the front of the train and I don't want to make light of anyone, right? With suicides. I'd get a lobotomy. I would just put my oh. mind. I put my mind to rest and just get a lobotomy, and then Where? just be done. Just be, Where would you get that? I don't know. Probably, I'd just be drooling, staring at a wall, hoping no one ever, hoping that they'd <laughs> hopefully blasted through the part of my brain that had any just, memory of Bitcoin. I just love the like this like quack with a nail and a hammer going. I think this is where the memory will be. Now, <laughs> now, no, I'm not getting the. I'm not getting, completely no, no, no. nuclear. <laughs> Sam, I'm not getting the lobotomy in order to remember the password. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just <laughs> now that he's now got maybe, the whole, it jars it open. Think of that horrible twist of fate. You get the lobotomy. The only thing you then remember is this password. But half now, the password. 
No, no, the entire thing. So you get <laughs> access to the 250 million, but you're now lobotomized. So you, it's like, you don't now, remember the website. <laughs> someone else can help you with that. Now, would yes. you rather be one of these people who's like lock themselves out? Or would you rather be that guy who spent 10,000 Bitcoin on two Papa John pizzas in 2010? Wait, what happened? Oh, you don't you don't know this story? Like it's like celebrated by crypto yeah. people every year. He was looking for a way to spend it, I think. And like at the time, one of the few things you could do, I think he paid someone to go and pick the pizzas up for him, I think is actually what he did. It's not like he did it directly through Papa John's, but he paid them 10,000 Bitcoin, which I think at current market value, it's like $600 million for two Papa John pizzas. Oh That's insane. They're really good pizzas though. Now, the only thing I'll say about that guy is you have to assume he's made a ton of money off Bitcoin. Like if you're, you're in early, you hope that he didn't just buy two pizzas and was like, well, that's my Bitcoin experiment done. See you later, guys. You hope that he's still like, okay, yeah, I spent 10,000, but I still own 50,000 Bitcoin. I still own five. <laughs> yeah. And I once had a night with two delicious Papa John pizzas. Made that sound quite sexual. <laughs> <laughs> Papa John was there. And as we know. Oh, the- so you've made it quite racist. <laughs> <laughs> Big Papa John, I think, was the guy there. Uh, that actually brings me on to a topic uh, that I wanted to bring up, which was, I don't know if you saw Croatian tennis player Alexand- Alexandra Olinikova, who I've definitely butchered, butchered her name, but I don't know if you saw that she got a little bit of attention this week because she was kind of playing off the cryptocurrency trend and the trend with non-fungible tokens, NFTs. And she sold an NFT for $5,000 this week, which was a space on her right arm. So for the remainder of her life, the, the guy who bought this for $5,000 can use that space on her right arm for any, to put any message he wants on it, so long as it's not offensive and so long as it doesn't have any link to betting or gambling because of tennis regulations. But absolutely anything else he wants to put on that right arm, it is now his property. Now, I have to preface this by saying this NFT thing confuses the hell out of me and I still really don't understand it. It's a scam, 100% scam. I don't, I think there is going forward, there is a way in which NFTs can be used that makes a little bit of sense. But currently when I look into it and this is, I'm not like someone in finance of people creating a trend that makes people spend cryptocurrencies because you have to use Ethereum for the NFTs. So I think it's just creating uh, like volume in the Ethereum trading and you're just making the market more liquid. And so by doing that, you're driving up the price and the, like the, what looks like the value of Ethereum itself. But I don't get it. I don't get why people are buying. I don't, the, what confuses me a little bit about the NFTs is there's the moments when, like who was the band? Wasn't it Kings of Leon? They did an NFT for their new album, I think. And so someone's paid a couple million dollars, I think, for the NFT for their new album. But the album is available on like Spotify and Apple Music and stuff. 
LeBron James just had one. Was that like last month, right? He had like a dunk, a LeBron James dunk that sold for like two hundred, like a quarter of a million. Yeah, Maybe so it was that guy who moment. lost his password, bought it. <laughs> the, the thing I don't get is it doesn't seem to me as if you own the rights to monetize it because there it makes sense. Like if you're the kings, of, if you're kings of Leon, and you're like, we're gonna create this NFT, and whoever buys this album can now use it however they want to make money. Like if they want to stick our our album in, in you know, if it surges up on the sales, if they want to take it off Spotify, if they want to put it into a movie, and they can do that. That to me kind of makes sense. I can understand what the point is there. But when it's literally like, no, 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 no you just get to claim that you like own the only actual, like you're the only one who owns the album. Everyone else can stream it but you are the only one who owns it. This, that bit is another time where it's like, how do I wrap my head around? Yeah, like that's weird... what I mean. Like I, I, I'm having trouble like wrapping my head around the idea of what these actually represent. Like the worst like, writers. Art too. Art, art is a big one too. And that's, yeah. that's where it's really popped off. Oh, makes sense, right? No, if it doesn't. Do an NFT. No, it doesn't because you're not getting it... the piece. Yeah. So you, the guy who's made a ton of, money right is beeple i think is his name something like that wait it's not his real name but that's the his artist name he because he just he had this 65 million dollar nft something like that he's become the third living third um most valuable living artist i believe on, on the back of his like the last few months of his nfts you aren't if i buy a picasso it it's mine i physically own it and I can put in my house and it's just mine. And I get people can come and look at it and admire the original. In this instance, you like technically own the thing that exists online, but everyone else sees exactly the same version of it as you do. Like they can go online and see it for free. And their argument is that's no different to people making copies of a Picasso. Like you can have a copy of a like of mm. a Monet hanging in your house. But to me, it's like no, no, no. I get to see like I can admire the individual brushstrokes if I own the original. Like it is there. I can see it. If I'm really into art, I can appreciate that. Whereas if I'm just buying an NFT to something that is available in exactly the same format on Instagram, what am I paying for? I don't. I don't get I, it. Uh, I actually have never heard of this. <laughs> I'm That's just amazing. Kind of throw that. you, have, you have had your head in the sand this. for a few weeks. Yeah. Been... Sam, actually, no, I'll give Sam credit. I mean, I've only heard about it for like a week or so, like a week or two. But, but yes. yeah, so, so like the first time I ever, this is, this is why it's confusing, Sam, because the first time I ever read it was w about this, what's his name? Weedle? Beeple, I think Beeple. is his name. Beeple. Yeah. yeah. He had, he had like, Wumble. um, <laughs> It was like this, what, it's like a JPG of, of like an image. I forget what the $69 million one, but one of the other one was like an image of like a bunch of um, like those shipping containers on like a platform in the ocean that sold for like $7 million. But then the picture of that is in the article. So it's like, he doesn't really own it because you're literally seeing it in the, in the article. And it's the same thing he's got. He's got the same thing that you're seeing, what, for seven million. So he has no right. To... He has no right. Oh, so he has to no anyone... rights. He has no like imaging rights. He can't like no, sell. No, he can't, he can't monetize bags. it. He can resell <laughs> the NFT. That's the only thing you can do. So you you have the NFT, and if someone else wants to buy it for more money, then you can sell it again. 
and the artist continues to get like that's also the other part of uh, nfts the artist continues to get royalties out of any reselling um so it's in the artist's interest that you do resell it whereas obviously if i buy a picasso picasso doesn't get any money for it anymore um i don't get it they're just adding layers of complexity i mean mark mark cuban mark cuban for example owner of the dallas mavericks shark tank extraordinaire yeah he sold nfts for tweets so you can buy the tweet but like you can't do you the idea of the nft fundamentally if i understand it is they're selling you a moment this is kind of the thing and there are there are instances i actually get it with like the croatian tennis player it makes more if i can buy a section on rafael nadal's arm and put the big chill podcast on it and he has to accept that as advertising it makes sense like you're buying advertising space if i could commission people to make something and then that gets put all over the place and again it says the big chill podcast i get it but if i just give him a ton of money so that i can say i own something it it seems like a dick measuring contest basically for rich people and this is just a new way to say it it's like oh what did you buy like hey mark cuban what did you buy last month and he'll be like i bought a new car and a new yacht and and then you're like oh yeah well i bought the nft for the entire beatles catalog yeah or like i mean that's like the lebron james like you own you own a top shot a top shots lebron james dunk for two hundred thousand dollars like what does that even mean you know like yeah you're right there's no point to it the beeple one i at least know with beeple i think part of what he does is he sends you a physical version of what you've bought but (laughs) you could print it you could do a really nice you could do that yourself for a whole lot less than and that's the, that's even the crazier thing. I've seen people selling NFTs to things like you can create an NFT to something you, you don't actually own in the first place, which has raised a few like gray areas and issues. But like I could create a, a, an NFT for conceivably, I could create an NFT for like a painting that's and sell like the online version of, you know, Monet's water lilies and buy them by the nft to it it gives you no rights to anything but you get to say you own the nft and that's where i'm sure they'll sort that out in the future as to you have to be the original owner of it but it's kind of crazy i don't get it it's it's this is moments when i feel very old and at the same time i also think the world's just gonna fall apart because we're all idiots yeah i mean maybe we should move on from cryptocurrency and nfts and and get to uh, why a majority of people are probably joining us today. And that's our interview of John Buckley, professional footballer for Blackburn Rovers. Happy to uh, be able to welcome John Buckley on the podcast, Blackburn Rovers midfielder. He's joining us from, from Wickham ahead of their match tomorrow. And I'm also accompanied by Frank and Sam as usual. John, thanks, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, no worries, my pleasure. Um, hi everyone. Hope you're all well. Frank, Sam, you you doing well? Yeah, always. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 32 degrees here, so I'm I'm happy. <laughs> so, John, I thought we'd hit you off with a, a one of our hard hitting questions because I know just to get the the interview really rolling. <laughs> so, one thing I really wanted to ask you: How many episodes of Olivia Meets Her Match have you watched? <laughs> Um, to be fair, I was a bit, I was a bit unsure whether to watch it 
Um, but then my girlfriend was watching it quite a bit, to be fair. So she she hooked me on to it. Um, and I watched a couple of episodes, to be fair, yeah. Um, does Deck, does he get any, like, stick for it in the in, within the changing rooms? Um, yeah. I think Olivia in it said um, that he likes being called Daddy. Um, so a few of the lads are giving a little bit of stick for that. Um <laughs> Just having a joking around um, on the training pitch and stuff like that, yeah, which was which is pretty funny. Yeah. No, I could see it. I, I'm just kind of imagining if one of my friends was on a reality TV show, I'd probably want to watch it to support them, but he'd definitely be looking for material to make fun of them with, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it was a few of us, to be fair. Um, Bradley Johnson was like a ringleader of it, to be fair. But yeah, it was a good laugh. Um, I did watch a few episodes, to be fair. A part of it got recorded at a training ground as well, and I was in in training, and that got when that got um, recorded. So, yeah, he's um, I've seen a lot of people like, highly rating it. To be fair, so I don't know if it'll be a, another another season or anything. I'm season unsure two. About. Yeah, I'm unsure about. Uh, I haven't really spoke to him about it, but yeah. If if there is a season two, do you want to be more involved? Do you want to yeah. have a leading role? <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely, I'll be definitely trying to get in on that one. Yeah. I'll try maybe make an appearance in that one, yeah. Yeah, in a recent episode, we were discussing if we would want to be part of a reality TV show, and if so, like which one we'd choose. So we had a little debate amongst ourselves about the like style of kind of Big Brother or real world style thing. So it'd be interesting to be being a cameo in someone else's in reality TV show, I think would be quite fun. Yeah. I think I'd prefer like real world stuff to be fair. Um, I think that's more, more my type. But nice. everyone has their own preferences, don't we? So. And uh, like before we started this, obviously you were telling us a little bit about traveling down for the t- match tomorrow and the situation in the hotel. How different is this season, or I guess the last season and a half almost since COVID in terms of no fans and the preparation for matches? Have you felt like it's in any way hindered your preparation and is there anything that you like more about it um it's it's a lot different to be fair because um like especially in like in away games and stuff like that you need like the fans help like get a team back into a game and stuff like that which i think is a big miss but we've we haven't had um for over a year now like fans really so it's something we've had to adjust to and um like adapt to but I played, I played against Brentford, uh, it'll be a couple of months ago now, and they had like, I think it was 2,000 or 4,000 fans, um, just when there was a starting letting fans in again. But like, it was very good not seeing fans again, hearing hearing cheers and stuff when the goals goes in. It was just like, brought you back to normality really. Um, and yeah, it was good to hear. So like, football's nothing with fans without fans really, so. Yeah. No, I could imagine the match day, it must be just a totally different experience in terms of like training and the, how you prepare for an individual match. Is that all different in terms of like when you're allowed into the training ground and any protocols you have to go through beforehand? Um, at the start of lockdown, we was, um, we was training groups of five um, just to get about fit again before the season started, which was very different. Um, and then the groups gradually got got more... But the preparation is, is similar, really. We're still allowed to, like, the same amount of hours on the pitch. We're allowed to do gym, do analysis of the games, prepare, like how we usually prepare. 
But yeah, it's been it's been a lot different to be fair, um, especially from last year. Just hope we can get back to normality soon. So so in terms of you know like preparation for game day, so it's it's the night before a match. You know, because now you're by yourself, are you are you a movies guy or a TV show guy? Are you playing video games and then kind of just waking up and getting ready for the match? You know, what do you do now that you're kind of just stuck in a hotel room by yourself? Um, I'll usually I usually watch something on Netflix or if it's a match on. It's usually it's a Thursday today, but it's usually a match on Friday night. So because we usually play on the Saturday, so it's usually Friday night football, which we'll watch. Or um, I usually bring my PlayStation. I've just got a new like. PS5 case, like a portable one you can tra- take in a little suitcase thing, which is convenient for travel. Um, I, I got that last week. Um, but yeah, I, I am brought one PlayStation this time to be fair. So I was just gonna, I was gonna do a podcast for you's and uh, just chill out really, probably whack something on Netflix. Yeah. What's your go to like Netflix series before a match? Is it, is it consistent? Is it, do you mix it up? What's, what's the kind of mood you try and set? Um, nothing specific to football, really. Just what's like trending, really. I'm not in, into any series at the minute, really. I need to like get into one. It's that um, F1 Drive to Survive that I might, I might give a watch, which the lads are talking about. Oh, that Sea Spiriter. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, I've seen it on the on Netflix, but I've not given it a go. The F1 yeah. one, the F1 show's good. I've also been just started watching. They got Last Chance U, which is normally about oh. American football. The basketball. But, yeah, they got the college basketball series. That's pretty good. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a friend that's started that at the minute. He's enjoying it. In terms of um, in terms of games, are you a FIFA person or a Pro Evo person? Um, I'm a FIFA person, to be fair. I know FIFA Ultimate Team or a Call of Duty Warzone. Um, I, like, I like my COD, to be fair. Um, that's what most yeah. of the lads play. We, um, I was, do you play fairly competitively with... Uh, do you have a teammates or how is yeah. it? Are you are you the best? Are you the middle range? How how is yeah, it? I think I'm the best. Way? To be fair, I think a lot of people agree. <laughs> to be fair, um, but yeah, we just we just usually go into it together as a team, really. Um, on Call of Duty, oh, we have our little mini, like mini tournaments with each other. Like say, Daki will have a, a team of two. I'll have a team of two. Um, Adam Armstrong will have a team of two. Just things like that, really. And do you have names? Are your gamer tags like? Do people ever figure out who you are? Um, with a couple of lads, have got stupid names. To be fair, on it, just like random names. Um, but yeah, we've never really had anyone message us. To be fair, um, no one's really figured it out. I don't think. Um, obviously, I do. I do. I've just started up on Twitch, which a few people can watch. Um, but yeah, a few of us got stupid names. Some have just got the normal names. And I guess it's a good chance for you to plug it then. What's your Twitch stream? Um, John Buckley 21 it is. I've only, <laughs> only just started Simple it. Simple so. enough. Yeah. Right. John Buckley, yeah. Moscow number. How, how often do you do you stream? Um, just whenever, whenever I'm free, really. It just depends on the um, the game week. So if you have on a Saturday, it depends if we win as well, to be fair. Say if we win on a Saturday, I'll probably stream at the night, you know, because we're in a good mood. Um, and most of you as like Blackburn fans. Um, you don't want to take out your anger after a loss with some no, COD rage? Just uh, no. no, I would go on COD, but I'll just go on it. Go on just it quietly. privately. Yeah. 
I saw, I think you posted a picture of your ultimate team on Instagram. And I think you were in your own side. Yeah, he's, um, I know someone that works for EA Sports and he's, uh, he kindly helps me, helps you out. If you're, if you're in the, in FIFA Ultimate Team, you're eligible for uh, like a 99 rated card with max everything stats. So he sorted me about, oh yeah, 99 rated. Nice. Um, I get a lot of people messaging me, like, after I play him on FIFA, they private message me, like, like pretty abusive stuff, to be fair, because they're not happy about the 99 <laughs> card score imposter. And they know I, it's I'm, you at that point? Or they yeah, just think yeah. you're... Okay. Because when, when, I, when I score, it comes up, like, a picture okay. of me, my team and stuff like that. Okay. Okay, so they don't think you're some sort of hacker no. that's got, like, a 99 John Buckley? No, yeah. Okay. Would you rather give me a bit of abuse on um, on PlayStation message or... Instagram, Instagram, yeah, um, yeah. Do you like? Because this is one of those things that always fascinates me. I've obviously never been in a video game. Do you like playing as yourself, or is it a bit strange? Yeah, um, yeah. It's like when you when when I was younger, you like you think well, imagine being in that game and stuff, and it's a bit of like it's a bit surreal, really, if you, in a kind of way. Do you know what I mean? Um, but you can play with yourself and. On a like probably the biggest one of the biggest games, my my normal card needs a bit of work to be fair. That's only sixty four rated, um, <laughs> but yeah, my my ninety nine cards very good to be fair. No one can really stop when, it. When it um, when all the stats come out, do you and the um, do you and the guys in the changing room and that do you like look at all the stats and think like is this justified? Like, are some people given more inflated stats according to you? Like, do you do you all come together? Yeah, we um, we have a laugh about it, to be fair. A few people had to say, like, how's he got more pace than me? Um, I'm, I'm quicker and stuff like that. Your shooting should have been, shouldn't be that. But, yeah, it's just all the laugh, all the laugh really. So, the lads are always comparing the stats at the start and seeing if they're correct and seeing what the height is on the game and stuff like that, just... Like I say, it's good to be in the game, isn't it? So, I think a lot, a lot of people would like, dream of being on the game, basically. Yeah, what sure. what do you think your most underrated stat is on FIFA, then? Underrated? Uh, don't know, that's a tough, tough question, to be fair. I've got... Um, your skill move gets ranked out of like, five stars, and mine's only three. I'd probably give myself a four. Four-star skill moves, to be fair. I'd probably change that. Um, so you think they've been too harsh? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I'd like to say I was a silver as well, a silver card. I only need to go up one more rating to get a silver. So hopefully next year, FIFA 22, hopefully. You can use the last few good matches of the season now just to do like needless stepovers and stuff just to yeah. try and bump your skill rating up. Yeah, just running randomly doing stepovers. That I also kind of wanted to question, switching back to the football itself. Obviously, for Rovers, the season started pretty well and sort of midway through, not far off the playoffs and probably back in January would have really had the aim of, of making the top six. Obviously, had like a, a bit of a bad patch in February, March. What's that like from a player's perspective where I guess now you might feel as if still lots to play for and to, to improve as a team and in, individually, but sort of safe, not no risk of going down and probably the chances of going up are gone. How do you kind of mentally treat that for the remainder of the season? Um, I think it's just taking what what out of it you can, really. 
like as me as an individual, I'm just trying to improve as much as I can now till the end of the season, um, which will put me in good stead for next season, hopefully. And I think as a team, it's just trying to be consistent throughout the rest of the season now. How many games can we win? Setting tar- little targets. Um, just, just like trying to get some consistency, I think, as a team. I think that'll be our, our main thing. Um, perform, like just keep trying to improve our performances game by game. Um, I think it's eight games left now. Well, We've got some. We've got some tough games coming up. Um, like the teams fighting to fighting to survive in the championship, which is going to be no easy game. Um, each game is going to be different. Um, so we just need to keep preparing, um, like analyzing our own performances after each game, just seeing how we can get better, and um, hopefully it'll put us in like good stead for the start of next season. And is the feeling within the sort of squad that you've underperformed this year, or did? people happy with kind of how the season's gone or is the feeling that there was a chance for promotion kind of missed out? Um, I think I think we're a bit, bit disappointed with like our league position at the minute, especially with how we've played against some teams that are above us. Um, because we've played teams like in the top six and we've been better than them um, in quite, most of the games, to be fair. But we've lost like one nil. We've had a few. We've had nil nils, just like the fine margin. Um, like when we played Norwich last week, we um, one of the one of the I know their central defender, and he said to me like, "You're the best. Te- you're the best team that's come to you come to Norwich this year to play us," which is obviously a big compliment for the team. Um, and he, he said to me that they, they struggled to um, they struggled to break us down. Yeah, it's a big compliment from, I guess, a team most considered to be the best in the in the division. Did you worry at all that he says it to someone that says it to everyone each week? Yeah, it's just... <laughs> I was thinking that after it, but no, we played well. To be fair, um, I don't think he'd do that to me. To be fair, but yeah, he's um, like you say, it's a good compliment, especially with Norwich, like ten points clear, eight points clear, or something. It's just a bit frustrating sometimes that like. We struggle to beat teams that we should probably be in. Um, when we look in the table, like teams above us, and we think we're a miles better team than them, but just the table's not showing it. But I think in a lot of our stats, we're like right up there in the league. Just the, but the main one is the league table, and it's it's not looking the best at the minute. We can only need to put that right until the end of the season, though. Yeah. Do you think? Um... Do you think COVID's had a part of that? Because you mentioned missing away fans for away games. Have you kind of thought that having no fans has made almost every game feel like you're playing at a neutral stadium? Or do you get the difference between, you know, Carrow Road and Ewood Park? Do you still feel that difference? Or without the fans, does it just feel like you're playing at neutral ga- uh, neutral stadium every week? Um, I think... I think away games, I think... It helps. It helps the team that's away. Do you know what I mean? It's like when we to Carroll, um, and vice versa. When we're at home, I think the Blackburn fans would help us quite a lot compared to if you get what I'm saying. I think, I think the fans at home games are, are big misses, um, especially just getting the team over the line. Like we've lost a couple of one nils, and it's just that fine margin which fans help a lot with. And like I said before, like. 
without fans, it's like nothing in football. Football pointless, really. Fans are a big part of football and help the team get wins, pretty much. Yeah. And you, you obviously, you also mentioned, so the Norwich player saying that Rovers were one of the best teams to have, to have visited Carrow Road this year. Who have you felt has been the toughest opposition or the best team that you've played against? Ooh, um, I played Swansea a few weeks ago um, and I thought they was, even though I thought we were probably a better team, I thought they was very well organised in the setup. up um, They played like a 3-5-2 like a five, 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 type and I thought they was very organised to be fair. I'm just trying to think of other teams. Um, Barnsley was very well organised as well, to be fair. Um, they've, they've done very well this season. Um, I didn't play in the game away, to be fair, because I was on the bench. Didn't end up getting on, but from watching it, I thought like they have a style of playing. The coach the has got a good style. Um, the same with Swansea, really. I think their, their style of play is very good. Um, try to play it all costs really and uh, trying to minimize the log ball and do you prefer it when you play against a side that's trying sort of playing more adventurous football and trying to keep the ball on the ground and avoid the long ball or would you yeah. rather yeah that's more yeah, enjoyable for you um like the norwich the bournemouth type We've got bournemouth on monday they're like more tick attacker type um other ways of playing other other patterns of football um and yeah, personally, I prefer I prefer playing that. But obviously, you've got to adapt to each game. No game in the championships the same. We've got Wickham tomorrow, and all due respect, is they're not going to be trying to play out from the back. We're going to make it as difficult as they can because they're going to be fighting to stay in the championship. How much do you prepare on an individual match basis for the opposition, and how much of it is just kind of we do what we do? How much are you actually thinking of Wickham tomorrow, and does that influence the approach? Yeah, I think as a manager, I think the manager will prepare, see what their like recent lineups are, how we can uh, maximize our threat and minim- minimize their threat. We don't sh- we do shape a day before a game, um, like set pieces, stuff like that. Work on things like that, and we have uh, we have like a meeting, looking at the, their clips from recent games. Their predicted um, predicted team, things like that, um, weaknesses, strengths. I think uh, most teams will do stuff like that. To be fair, and you mentioned there Tony Mowbray, well, manager. He's been very complimentary of you and said that he thinks you're a player who will have a future in the Premier League. And from that perspective, when you hear that as a player, obviously it must be nice. But when you're planning out your career, then do you have an age in mind? in which you feel, and I, you, you'll probably give us just the footballer answer here of like everything will come when it comes and you just head down and focused and stuff. But do you have an age, if you've got your career plan, is there an age at which you think I want to be in the Premier League by, by this point so for my career to be where I want it to be? Um, to, to be honest with you, it's actually, it's actually not. Um, I don't have like a, a predictive goal. I just know that's where I want to be. Um, I haven't set I haven't set an age on it or anything because some people get there sooner than people. I think it's just about each each person's pathway is different, really. But you just got I've just got to try and control 
control myself, control my performances and just, yeah, just hopefully one day I'll get there. Obviously, it's every play, every football player's dream to play in the, um, in the Premier League. But to wear that by the, the gaffer, yeah, it was um, good that he shows his belief in me and his trust. Um, it's, it's a great thing to wear, yeah. And then I've got one other sort of Premier League question, related question, I guess, which is you're sort of on record as being a Manchester United supporter, or at least having grown up as one. Is that something that still continues? Like, do you consider yourself a United supporter now? Or is it just now that you're a professional footballer, you kind of, it's your job and you don't really pay attention to matches elsewhere? Um, yeah, obviously I'm always going to follow Man United, but I just love football in general, really. I just watch, if there's any football on, I'll watch it. Like, I'll watch stupid games, really. Um, like, if it's a Spanish league game on, I'll probably just watch that. Um, like, it was, I stayed up a bit late last night just to watch um, like the international highlights and stuff. I just admire football, really. But, yeah, I, I do follow him since I was six. So, like, Blackburn's a big part of me, really. Um, and so that's why I keep doing well for club. I think I probably got you beat on this staying up to watch weird football. I stayed up last night to watch Barbados play an international match for no real reason. So it's, uh, if it's on, yeah. I can, I can understand just putting it on and, and getting glued in once it's, once it's there. Yeah. It's gambling the reason. Gambling was not the reason, no. <laughs> there was no financial interest in the performance of Barbados. Okay. I'm doubtful of that, but fine. <laughs> you, you mentioned that you've been with kind of Rovers since you were six. How much have you seen the club change over that kind of period of time? Do you think it's changed massively? Do you think like ethoses have changed or, um, you know, long-term strategies, etc.? Do you think that's changed a lot? A little bit, to be fair. The, um, because when I was younger, I was in the Premier League when I was coming up through like around under eight's time. And... We have two training grounds, like one at the bottom and one at the top. Um, and the top one is like where the first team is and the bottom one's like where the academy is. And when you go up to the under-23s, that's when you go up to the like where the senior and the reserves is. So I've played a lot of my like football at the academy bit, to be fair. And I just remember like, like the big names like David Bentley, like Chris Samba, people like that, they was all at the um, all at the top. And I remember we, were, um, we used to go like on days out each year, you no, know, like the academy, where you can get like a ball signed and stuff. And I just remember like, always looking forward to that like, to that day where you used to meet all the first team players and stuff like that. Was there ever a first team player who really impressed you in terms of how he dealt, you know, like the time he took with younger players? Um, it's hard to think. I just I remember um, Rocky Santa Cruz. I remember um, I remember him being like very, like very, very nice to us all, and like, not being shy to sign saying he want a picture and stuff like that. Um, I remember Brad Friedel, Brad Friedel's hands, size of him, <laughs> like. I remember him being huge. Um, but yeah, we just like, 
it's been like a journey to be fair um, because I've gone from like ball buying the first team games to be put, um, playing. As you know, I've, I made my 50th appearance um, yeah. uh, last week. So from being like a ball boy to be making that, that milestone is uh, like a, a big for me, really, big achievement. And does it... Is it hard to kind of wrap your head around that? Like, does that sink in very easily? Are there moments where you sit back and, and kind of look at that transformation, that journey, and you're, you're just kind of stunned by it? Um, yeah, it all comes pretty quick, to be fair, because the game's come thick and fast. So you don't have really time to think. Uh, once the season's finished, I'll probably like, an- like, analyse my my season and how they improved from last, last season, what, what can I do next season, what's my... And at the start of next season, I'll probably set, my, set myself another target uh, if, to do, if that's to do with goals or assists, appearances, starts, just stuff like that, really. But yeah, it all happens pretty quick. But when, when uh, the season finishes, I'll probably see how many appearances I am and things like that. You, you mentioned earlier, like all the great names that have played for Blackburn uh, over the years. What interests me is obviously, obviously being champions kind of in the mid nineties and then, you know, unfortunately getting relegated, you know, especially to fans like Eddie and unfortunately being at Ewood Park on that relegation day, actually, do you still feel in the championship that Blackburn still carry that kind of aura around them of being Premier League champions once? And do you still think that people almost want to beat you because you carry that uh, kind of almost like a, a fallen giant status uh, of sorts. Do you, do you still find that with other teams? Do people still bring it up? Um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of fans that um, like um, miss being in the Premier League and stuff, to be fair. Um, and it's our job to try and get the club back there. The, um, the club's the club's like a, a great club. If you look at the stadium and, like the Jack Walker legacy and stuff like that, and even walking around the stadium with uh, pictures of, I think it was like the Worthington Cup then, and like pictures of Shearer and stuff like that, but just by their names, by by his name, it's it shows what big club it was, uh, always, and um, it's like a um, Premier League in the in the stadium and stuff like that, which is. My massive real um, just shows how big the club is. Um, there's not many, not many clubs that win the Premier League. To be fair, so yeah, just shows what the big club is. Yeah, yeah. We were we were just talking. I think actually last episode about um, the sad state of the American football club, and we were discussing about the academies and the lifestyle and things like that. And and you've been at the Blackburn Academy since you were you were six, so. I mean, most Americans don't really even understand that concept. So what, you know, what, what are you doing? What's, what's like your day-to-day? What's the lifestyle of being there when you're so young? You know, like how often are you training? You know, what are you doing? You know, you said you, you, said you were the ball boy and things like that. So, you know, what's kind of the progression of going through the academy? Right, yeah. So, um, so you get, I got scouted and uh, playing for my local team um, on like, um, just like an astral to, just um, local to me and you, at the start when you're young you go in like one one day a week and as you get older so like around under 12s and stuff like that you start getting going in training a couple of times a week um so as the ages progress you um 
you start training more really, then I'd say like around under 15s, under 16s, you're training three, four times a week and playing as well. And that tries to get you in the um, in the routine of a of a scholarship, which gets given to you at under sixteen to under to under eighteen. So it's like a two year scholarship. So that's what you basically fight for. At first, is your scholarship, um, your two year scholarship, um, and that's full time. So that's when you leave school. I'd say it was I was ball buying and stuff around the ages of under fourteen, under fifteen. I used to train on Saturday mornings and go straight to a match. Um, I remember a few managers saying, um, I keep a winning slower box, slow it down and stuff like that. But yeah, then when you get to, when you do your two-year scholarship, that's when you find out if you get a professional contract and stuff. And I'm lucky enough to have, to have I've had a few now and just recently signed a new one. Um, taking me to 2024, but throughout the academy, we usually do contracts in two years. So at under 12s, you'll probably sign a, find out if you sign a two-year contract to take you to under 14s. Then after under 14s to under 16s. Um, so we do it in two-year blocks, really. And you can't sign you can't sign a proper like pre-contract, it's called, until you're under nines, like nine years old. So because I was there at six, I could still... Like experience other clubs really. Um, I tried out a few other clubs, but at the time I had a few friends at Blackburn as well from a local team. Um, so that was one of the main reasons why I come here. And um, I've seen a lot of lads like go. To be fair, throughout the years. But yeah, I'm just happy I'm in the first team playing now regular. And at what age did you really think that you had a realistic chance of becoming a professional footballer? Um, it's hard to say now, really, but when I knew I was, I knew I was talented, like, I'd say under 15s, under 16s, because I got my scholarship, like, first out of all the group, so I knew that I was, I was good, to be fair. Um, then my scholarship, I was, my first year, I, I played a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked, um, and my second year, um, that's when I just like done very well to be fair and got into the under 23 team then um, I was lucky enough to have a back end of the other season make my debut against sorry, Sheffield Wednesday and is it tough to deal with sort of as you do progress through those age ranges and you said you've got you had friends like obviously some of them will have dropped off at different moments and not got contracts and not got scholarships is that a really difficult process to go through where you sort of you're happy with yourself and obviously focuses on you progressing but you're seeing friends kind of having to go back to school or go and do other things or just go to other clubs yeah it's um it's difficult to see but you're all fighting for the same thing really it's a uh, it'll be a bit selfish at times i think and it's all part parcel of um of football it's full of ups and downs on the way you don't always get what you or get what you'd like um even at, even at this level now he's ups and downs all the time it's just how you deal with it um you just gotta like adapt to the situation really and stay mentally strong i think a lot of football's very mental um not what a lot of people see um but it's just yeah deal with dealing with setbacks and 
when the when the good's good, make sure make sure that you uh, you try and stay there as long as you can. And at the club, do you have you're talking about the mental side of things? Then is there a sports psychologist? Is there any any involvement of that, or is it just kind of if you if you need additional help, you can you can seek it? Yeah, there's um, there's a, a sports psychologist uh, that was with the academy, like under eighteen type. And it's still there to speak to if you if you want. Um, I spoke I spoke to one outside of football though, just just about how to keep improving and stuff. Keep just keeping your mind switched on. Um, yeah, he's called Luke Staten. He's um, he's helped me a lot. To be fair, out of, out of football, just just like I said, just keep keeping me um, a mental side there, like. What can I do to in the extra sessions and stuff like that? Just how I can like stay ahead of the game really and keep keep bettering myself. Yeah. So so you mentioned you just signed a new long term deal. I, I, how did that feel? I mean, was that like a big relief? Did it feel great? You know, what was the process kind of getting that signed and done? Um, it was a long pre- process to be fair. Um, I'd say it was going on for like around a year because I got told I was getting one then. Then just as we was about to sort it out, then COVID came. Um, so that delayed everything and we was off football for uh, then when I got back into football it was getting back to playing well and starting out, um, negotiating, things like that. Um but yeah, when I was when I when I signed it the other week it was I was over the moon, I was buzzing to get it signed. Um it's a long time. It's a long time then um, to twenty twenty four, um, I was I was over the moon skate done really. And who does that negotiation? Is that you? Is it your agent? Is it directly with Tony Mowbray? Is it sort of other people in management within the club? How's how's what's that dynamic like? Um, my agent my agent sorts things out like that for me. Um, he negotiates on my behalf. Um, he speaks to just people at the club and just tries to get it done as quick as they can. Obviously, there's a lot of obstacles along the way someone wants something a, a club don't want to do stuff it's just it's just a process really what what um, agents are there for and yeah I'm just over moon it's done now um, it's a little bit of pressure off my shoulders to um, so start playing freely um, a bit of security but yeah a little bit of a, a pot burn um, so just see that's, how the next few years go, yeah. That's awesome. And then, so so after you sign, do you have to take the whole club out for dinner? Is that like the rule? <laughs> the... <laughs> no, I'd have no money left from a new contract if I'd done that. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it's helped me a lot, but then, um So you, you talk about the security there and stuff. I- I'm interested then now, now you've signed your new deal because this is an aspect that always interests me, I guess. How, what else does your agent do for you? Because on a day-to-day basis, is it someone you're regularly speaking to or is it just when negotiations come around, they step in, but otherwise kind of not too involved in your life? Um, I think people's relationships are different with their agent, to be fair. Some just want to speak to them when they need them. Some want to have a close relationship with them. Um, I'm pretty. I'm close to my agent. To be fair, I've been with him since like under eighteen level. So I've been, I've been, I've been with him for a few years now, um, and he helps me massively. Um, 
I speak to him most most days. Um, yeah, I just speak to him like the day before a game, usually after a game, give him a ring, see how he thought the game went. Just helps with advice, really. As well as my dad does, I rather speak to my agent or my dad about like football, football stuff, really. Are you going to do the uh, Erling Holland then and send your dad and your agent off around Europe to be photographed by uh, just to drum up interest in you in the future? I know uh, that's crazy. I done that, um, but uh, no, I'm not at that stage yet. One day, one day. It is. It is interesting though because obviously the the images in Barcelona and things like that have obviously been of interest, but sometimes agents, a relationship with clubs or the press or their players sometimes can be negatively seen in kind of the global media. Do, do you really see a place for the agent then? Because I, I, I think most people hear about an agent for when it comes to like transfers, but clearly there's more around it, right? Like imaging the everyday. Uh, so you really see a place for agents in, in kind of football. Yeah, I think it- and then imagine him sorting a deal out and trying to perform. I know he probably could do it to be fair. Um, but but yeah, I think agents take a lot of like weight off players' shoulders because you can concentrate on your football of them while your agent's like negotiating things. Um yeah, I just think I think there is a place for him. Yeah, I think I think they do a lot of stuff that probably the medium and stuff don't see. Yeah, it's interesting. It's in the US too. It's got a lot of attention at different moments. I don't know. Richard Sherman, who's a fairly famous NFL player, he negotiated his own deal when he went to the 49ers and he got a lot of attention for kind of taking responsibility of that. And then obviously you had the Reggie Bush, which Frank will know more about than I do, but he hired a former rapper as his agent uh, and then negotiated a deal that. I think he would have only made decent money if he'd broken kind of every record like known in the NFL. So you can definitely see in those moments when you need to negotiate something, it probably helps having someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. He's like a, like a, a friend as well at some time that you can speak to for advice. Um, I don't, I don't agree with them like getting involved in, in teams business and stuff like that. Like, Oh, like bad, bad mouthing clubs and stuff like that. I don't agree with things like that. But to negotiate on on behalf of myself and other players, I think I think it helps massively. So you can concentrate on your football. And within then within the dressing room, when one of you is negotiating a contract, which I guess must be going on almost all the time in kind of some advanced stage or not, uh, do you talk about it with each other? Is it something that is it ever a distraction to the team if they really want someone to sign a new deal and, and they're wondering what's the what the holdup is? Um, every now and again, someone will say, like, have you heard anything from your new deal or your contract situation and stuff like that? But unless someone speaks to someone about it, it's usually we usually just keep it to ourselves, really. Or like if a player asks for advice, like what do you think on such such thing? I, I, I think that'll happen quite a bit. Um, but I think a lot of people are like discreet about the about the contract negotiations and things like that, which I think is is right to be fair. And that kind of brings us the other. We've talked a bit about agents, the other world of professional footballer that I think, in particular, to our American listeners, sounds totally foreign. But is the concept of the fines? Is I think if you're not a footballer, it just you know, I don't go into work and get fined for different things, not unless I do something really bad, at least. So 
how does the fine system work? What, what, what do you get fines for? And then who kind of administers that within the team? Um, to be fair, we, because it's been a, a different season, we haven't like, been big on fines really this year. The sports scientist has a fine list, which is um, it's like if you're late for gym, which is a fine. If you miss gym, which is a fine. Um, yeah, it's fines like that, which you have to pay at the end of end of a month. And if you don't pay it at that end of a month, it gets doubled for next month. But we used to have a system, the players, which like the captain and stuff used to do, was like a big spin wheel. Um, so if you've done something wrong, you had a spin of a wheel. So you spin the wheel and whatever it lands on, you have to do. So there was like a few funny ones on there, like clean the, clean the gaffers, clean the manager's car, or like £20 fine, or times free, which is whatever you got fined, tripled basically. Um, it, was, it was just more fun and people just getting fined. Um, but we, because it's been, like I've just said, because of a season, we, we haven't stuck to that. Um, that's what we've done last year. I guess um, next obvious question might be, what's your worst fine from Spin the Wheel? If you've ever had one. I can't really remember, to be fair. I think it was, um, I think it was like 50, 50 pounds or something. Um, not too bad. I was, I was, to be fair, when he was doing that, I was only young. Um, so I didn't, I didn't, I was a bit cautious what I was getting fined for. So I was, um, I was just being careful, to be fair, yeah. And who's the player who gets the most fines then? Is there someone who's just always late and missing things, or is it pretty good? Um, to be fair, it's pretty good. Um, I can't really remember when we had the wheel who got fined the most because, like I said, it was last year. But like the gym, being on time for gym and miss gym and stuff like that with a sports scientist, that's generally good. Um, not many lads really miss it. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good on that. No, to be fair. And, and then what happens at the end with, with, with like the pot? I mean, do you do you all go out and have dinner yeah. with it, or uh, or it goes to a end of year night out, um, which will be like rather go out like for a night in in London or go for a meal or something like that. We rather do we usually do two each year. We haven't this year, but last year we did. Um, we usually do one at Christmas time. And then at the end of the season, last last Christmas we went to um, Winter Winter Wonderland in London. Um, it was just like a Christmas team bonding type, uh, which was good. And we just just spend the money there, really. What everyone's everyone's chipped in with. So, like, if we see you book Adele for your Christmas party, then we know it's been a bad year of fines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone's generally usually good to be fair though. Like paying fines, not getting fined and stuff like that. So, so it's a good, just a good system and ever keep everyone intact basically. But yeah, be interesting you deliberately would you yeah, do? <laughs> nah. <it's>, um, <laughs> you can just do it yourself, Sam. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, he's um no, I can't see anyone doing that to be fair. A few of the players are dubious about paying the fines anyway. No, I argue and say, no, I didn't. So no, I don't think I don't do that, to be fair. And do you pay in cash? Do you, does someone have like a card reader or you just 
Yeah, just cash, cash. really. Got to draw it out, draw it out from a cash machine, and bring it in at the end of the month. Yeah, it's, it's better than it's just more easier to deal with in it, really. Yeah, I guess it would be a bad sign if someone had progressed to the level where they're carrying around a card machine to collect the fines. <laughs> it's probably not been a good month for someone. I know. I think the I think the banks would um, be questioning it as well. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So, so I so guess I that's of, one of the. Sorry. Go ahead, Frank. No, no go. For I was saying. I, I guess. I guess that's one of the downsides of being a professional footballer is the having to pay the fines. What's What's like one of your favorite things about being a professional footballer? Um. Just doing, I do my dream, dream job basically. It's um, and being like a, a bit of a role model to people, people, people that can walk up to. Um, yeah, just just playing football for for a living. Um, it's very I'm very grateful to be doing it. Um, well, that's obviously one of the pros, but it's a lot of hard work that goes into it. But many people like don't see like. Um, like you're probably a young lad saying like, we want to be professional footballer, but to do it is actually like a lot tougher than people think. Like less than probably one percent of people think it is a become a professional footballer. So for me to be doing that is, is obviously a big pro, big like pro pro for me. Do you feel like people treat you differently when they find out what you do? Like when you, you introduce yourself and obviously you might not immediately be recognized, but the moment that they find out, do people take additional interest? Do you feel like there's a change in attitude towards you? Um, yeah, I do, to be fair. Um, just in general conversation, if it, I think if they know that I'm a footballer, I think some people might just like respect me a bit more. And, and yeah, it's just... Um, I think you've just got to be a bit like careful of when you're paying for things and stuff like that, that people might try and take a, like, a bit of advantage of it. No thinking always, oh, he's got like, a, lot of, a lot of wealth and stuff like that, which is not always the case. With things just like car insurance, if you're buying a pair of football boots from a Instagram page, I just think people have got to be careful from things like that um, because people might not add, add things on. Just because for a footballer, we don't know what their the contract situation and stuff like that. I just think, yeah, I just think that's what you got to be careful of. Yeah, I get that. I think everyone imagines professional footballer and kind of thinks of like Paul Pogba level of weekly salary and stuff, and yeah. doesn't think that it's not this. Not in obviously that everyone. You, I'm sure you're doing very well, but like that is not necessarily the hundreds of thousands of pounds a week that people might be raking in elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, like I said, people just gotta be, be careful and make sure we tr- trust the people which I'll be speaking to. Really, um, like I've just been trying to order a pair of boots off off Instagram, like I just said, and I think. I think he's trying to ride a bit on, do you know what I mean? Because it's very expensive, but I'm like, no chance. It's just got to be careful. And these are football boots? You're buying? Yeah, football boots, yeah. That you would like to wear in a match or just for... Yeah, to wear in a match for, for training a match. Um, just because like, I like ordering boots, to be fair. It's a boot. It's an, like an old pair of boots that was out a couple of seasons ago. So hmm. you can get hold of them, but you're saying like, 
about 400 pounds for a pair of boots which is like expensive which was like re- retailing at like 180 or something and why do you prefer the older ones is it nostalgia or it's actually the you think it helps in terms of do you notice a big difference when you're playing i like that style i like the style of boot it's a night tempo it's i've got it's the ones i'm wearing at the minute like red temples yeah um but I used to have a blue pair, and I'm just trying to get them back, to be fair, because um, I just like that style of boot. Are you ever prevented from buying, because obviously we hear about like imaging rights where they only wear like Nike or Reebok or Adidas or something. Do you have to be careful with what you buy in that respect as well? Because maybe contractually speaking, you or some of the players can only wear like a certain brand or they're like an ambassador for a certain brand. Do you have to worry about that factor as well? Or are you- kind of just free to wear and buy whatever make you please yeah me personally i'm i'm free to wear whatever but a few of the lads are contract like contracted to different brands and stuff like that like harvey elliott who's on loan from liverpool he's with new balance he's in the contract with new balance so i'm guessing that's that's what you he's got to wear you know um going into games got to have new balance trains on new balance boots yeah, but me personally, I'm, I can wear what I want. If you want, when I was leaving school, I had a, had a friend of mine I went to school with who tried to become a per, like a shoe designer. He was like customizing boots, like doing designs on them and stuff, which has taken off. He was a little bit ahead of the times because that's like a big deal, especially you see like NFL players and stuff really rolling out the custom shoes. And I paid him like 200 bucks to do a custom pair of boots and they turned out to be the worst things I'd ever seen. <laughs> he put like frogs on them and I never wore them. He kept asking me why I never put them on. So if you want a little hookup there, I can get you <laughs> get you some custom Nike Tiempos there with, I don't know. I think I'll pass on the frog ones. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you, you, you've hardly sold the uh, industry <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe he's improved. It's been it's been a decade. He might be better now. Yeah. Did, did you yeah, ask for the frogs? Send me some pictures of him. I didn't ask. I he he'd done in fairness, like he'd done some good designs for himself, and then he'd done them for a couple of other people. And then he asked. I said I was interested, and he was kind of like trying to start a business. So part of me was just supporting him. And then he asked if I wanted anything specific, and I wasn't feeling like particularly creative. So I just said like, do whatever you think will look good. And then he gave me the ugliest shoes I'd ever seen. So like, I don't know, maybe he just hated me. And that was his way of telling, like taking my money and giving that, sending that as a message. But I probably should have given him some, some instructions, I guess. So, so growing up and, you know, being at the Academy so young and everything, who, who is someone that you've played against, you know, since, since you were six or seven that you've seen kind of progress and you kind of always thought they were going to be a great player and they've turned out to be, you know, like a star already. Um, Phil Foden probably. Um, he's my age, and I've played against him. I'd like to say through like from under tens, I'd say under elevens and under twelves around that time. And obviously, he's flying now with England and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he's probably one of the. I can. I thought off straight away when you asked the question. Um, I played. Play Hudson, Hudson Adoy, Callum Hudson Adoy for Chelsea at um, under 18, under 23 level. Jaden Sancho when he was at Sir at under 18 level. 
the three that stand out really. Um, it's a pretty good tight. list. Yeah. <laughs> not a bad list, is it? It's not bad. I've heard yeah. of worse lists. Yeah. yeah. Um, did Phil tight. Foden? Did Phil Foden stick out immediately? Like even at at ten eleven, did he look like he was different class, or is it kind of surprising how just how good he's become? Yeah, he stood out. To be fair, he's um he's a bit similar to me, really like. A late developer in his in his body, if you know what I mean. So when he was at under twelve level and stuff, he was tiny like me. Um, and obviously, he's, like I just said, he's he's flying at a minute. Um, I think he's like guaranteed to go with your rules. Um, I played against a lot of players, decent players to be fair. But I've, um, but I've turned out to be professional footballers that I grew up with. Uh, he's one at Stoke as well called Tyrese Campbell and he's, he's in, he was in the same team as Phil Foden at Sir. Um and yeah them two stand out really Have any not made it that have really surprised you that if you went back to when you're like 14, 15 you thought for sure this guy's going to be playing in the Premier League and then just hasn't developed and hasn't made it Is that the thing what, do, I don't know if you know someone called Angel Gomez well probably when it was at United um, Yeah when we was when we was younger, he was like unbelievable, and I think he's I think he's on loan in Portugal at the minute. From I think he signed for Lille in France. Yeah, um, he was like I thought he was. He probably still will because he's a very good player. But I thought he would have maybe been in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, he's, I have no doubt that he'll probably he'll probably get that there. And you've mentioned a couple of players there in Sancho and in Gomez who've gone abroad. Does that is that something? Obviously, not a lot of English players do make like leave England at any point. Is that something that tempts you at all? Is it something you'd be interested in doing, or just happy where you are? Um, I have a minute. I'm happy, but just, you can never say never. You know, you never know what's going to happen in football. Um, yeah, it's um, it's, it's something that might interest me later on in my career. Um, like a lot of players go out to the MLS now. Um, we just had one from Blackburn go out to the MLS. Um, Derek Williams just signed for LA Galaxy. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that like interests me throughout my career. Um, it'd be nice to have a change um, at some point, but, but I'm happy. I'm more than happy at a minute, and my focus is get to the Premier League at a minute. Um, Hopefully with Blackburn. Yeah, it'd be quite the change um, to move from from Blackburn to LA. It would be a little bit of a lifestyle adjustment, I think. I know. He put he put a picture picture on his Instagram story um, today, and it looks unbelievable. The weather and stuff like that. So you've mentioned um, obviously Manchester United from a kind of childhood support. Is there any clubs going into Europe that you would like dream of going to, or any leagues that you kind of find? Maybe fit your play style and things like that. Um, I really liked watching um, Ajax. You know when he was playing in the Champions League when he got to the semi-final, um, when he had like Frankie De Jong and Ziyech and stuff like that. Um, really enjoyed watching that team. Yeah, he's, he's obviously like the big clubs like Barca and stuff like that. Like that, I, I personally I prefer that style of play. Um, like I mentioned before, like the tick attacker, like the I don't know, like the Pep Guardiola style of play, like if you want to call it. Um, 
I think I think I'm a technical footballer, um, so I think teams like that would help me. And then I'm also interested to get your thoughts because you mentioned Phil Foden there and his involvement in the England team. Obviously, in midfield, England have quite a lot of options, particularly in that kind of attacking midfield position and role. Who do you think should make the, the squad for the Euros? We must have this debate of football so much. Everyone's team's different, to be fair. Um, it's tough. It's very tough. As, so you just want the midfield free? Yeah, let's start there and yeah. see where you... Yeah. The midfield free, I would rather have um, Declan Rice or Henderson City, depending if Henderson is fit, then I would have... Mason Mount, and I think Southgate would go with him as well, to be fair. Um, and I would rather play, I think I'd play Phil Ford on the right wing, to be fair. I don't know, but between, that, between the two attacking ones, I'd go between Mount, Foden and Grealish. They're, my, they're, they're the three I'd go between. Then I think... I think the back four would be Stones, Maguire, Shaw and Walker, the one that's been playing the last few days, a couple of games. Um, I think I think that's the, the back four I'd go for. And Pickford in that I'd go for. Oh, you'd go for Pickford? Yeah. Pickford. I think so. Because of like previous tournament experience or what... what... Yeah, and I don't think he's like England down. To be fair, I don't think mm. I don't think there's no need. I know Pope made six consecutive clean sheets, but I think I think our Southgate wants to play as well, like playing out from the back and stuff like that. I think Pickford suits that a bit more. And do you have any other like controversial inclusions that you think would take people by surprise if you had someone to sneak into your squad? Apart from maybe yourself, I guess, in a dream world. But like apart from you, anyone else that would surprise people? Um, no, not that I can think of. I'm a big fan of Trippier. To be fair, I think he should. I think I think a lot of people would may probably disagree. Um, does, but, does that mean that Trent Alexander-Arnold's missing out in your squad? Yeah, I, I haven't really heard him. Where's uh, Where's his place? I don't know. I'm I'm definitely Walker over Trent now, which was which is a big. People probably disagree with to be fair, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. To be fair, he's, he's got a lot of good players to pick from, hasn't it? Um, yeah, going to be yeah. some tough, tough, tough choices for him. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, some but, tough choices, and I'm sure some really disappointed players if they miss out, particularly if England go on to do really well. It's going to be tough. I mean, like someone like Alexander Arnold, for example, if he doesn't make it and then England do well, you'd feel a bit sick. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So um, there's it, a lot to there's a lot of games left to be fair. Still until the Euro, so he's hopefully Trent can get back to be playing how he was last year. And as a play, as a player, then obviously you've not been involved in in the England squad. But say you were kind of in any selection process, and there the kind of debate, I guess, a little bit is current form versus historical performance and experience. Which one would you prefer a manager take? Like favors? 
don't know, it's a tough question, really. Um, I think, I think if you're going off previous performances, well, we were talking about Pickford, I think, like, the historic, the, his tournament experience, I think that's, I think that'd help the team quite a lot compared to his form now. Not if you get what I'm saying. Um, but like like Stones, he's been performing very well, but he's had mistakes in him, but he's going off current form. So I don't know. I think it just depends on the situation and the player, really. Yeah. yeah. And within the Blackburn squad, because obviously a few nationalities in there, a few different European nationalities, got like Germans, Belgians, all, all sorts. Is there a lot of kind of like competitive rivalry when it comes to international football? Do people talk about like looking forward to the Euros and supporting their nation? Or is it just some of them just kind of aren't even really into it? No, yeah, most of the, most of the lads, because everyone's a big, big fan of football. So, so yeah, he's a, Thomas Kaminsky, we have a, we have a bit of a laugh with him sometimes, Belgium, um, because, because he's playing for a, number one ranked country in the world. And I know he's not yeah. the first choice keeper, but he's still part of it. Um, so we have we, we have a laugh with him sometimes saying like, oh, you, sh- you shouldn't be number one. You shouldn't be number one in the world and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, everyone loves the Orals, don't we? So when it comes around, everyone, everyone will be supporting, supporting each other and things like that, yeah. So say it gets to... Final of the Euros. It's England against Belgium. Penalty shootout. And for some <laughs> reason, Kaminsky's in goal. Does any part of you want him to save a penalty? Or just, no, just all England? And, yeah, no, there's some country pride coming here. No chance. It's England and, England's got a score around there. <laughs> Speaking of which, England's chances this time round, Wembley being the final host. Such a good pool of talent and depth. Yeah, that's what I mean. They've got a great chance, on I don't know. I think, I think France, France are probably one of the strongest still. Um, I think Portugal have a good chance as well. To be fair, um, I think we've got a good squad. But yeah, especially getting to the semis, um, England with that a bit more experience behind them. Why not? Like, it's, we've got a, we've got good enough players and. But it's just look at the draw and stuff in it. Um, you, you can get and, but like I said, if why not now? Eh, it's, it's a good chance for him. Yeah, yeah, every chance for sure. And does that? So, what are your summer plans looking like then? Because obviously things might still not be open to you know who knows. Do you are you trying to plan trips somewhere? Are you planning on just staying at home? What's that look like? Um, I currently, I have a family wedding um, in Cyprus, but on uh, around the end of May, like twenty eighth May, I think. Um, but it was it was meant to go ahead last year, last last June, but that got cancelled. But I just got to say, I think I think there's an announcement on the fifth of April, I think. Um, so I'll just see what happens there. And, and then in in terms of training off season, I mean, when does that pick back up? Do you, do you take a nice long break or are you just back at it? You know, the day after the season ends, how's that usually work for you? 
Um, personally, this one I'll probably I'll probably have a week a week or two off, and then um, start with start with Mike. I've to be fair, at a minute I've been seeing on my days off. I've been seeing some like sports science personal trainer type guy, which is helping me with my power and my strength and things like that. So when the season finishes, I'll probably I'll probably jump in and see him. Um, and just just to keep improving while we're off, to be fair, because I won't be burning as much calories and stuff. So I think that's a good time for me to like, benefit in that power type and strength. You got any tips, Frank? For, uh... No, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure his his trainers are much better than anything I can give him advice wise. <laughs> well, I guess that don't want to keep you too long, and we covered a lot of topics, so I guess that just about wraps it up then. But it was it was great having you on. Maybe we can have you back on again in the future. Talk about a few more of the few more topics and stuff as they as they come up. But it was it was wonderful t- chatting with you. Yeah, definitely. So um, just if whenever in the future if you need me on, I'll. I'll be happy to join you. So um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it. thanks for thanks for coming on. And uh, if you ever if you ever need uh, a challenge in 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 COD in Warzone, you just let us know, <laughs> and and we'll we can take you and whoever else you got down. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you'll be able to beat us. To be fair. Wow. <laughs> just Sounds just to let you know, Eddie and I playing as a two on the same team as France are pretty unstoppable. This, that's in FIFA, not in Warzone. <laughs> that's in FIFA, not in Warzone. <laughs> I just got really confused for a second. Yeah. yeah, but in Warzone, we're a pretty we're a pretty solid duos. So if you if you ever do, you feel like there's not enough strength and depth within the within the Blackburn squad. You know, we're happy to we're happy to hand out some COD lessons. No problem. You'll be you'll be the first to know. I look forward to that call. All right. Yeah. Well, good good luck in the game tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, cheers. Thanks a lot. Great. See you.